morning, good evening, good afternoon. I did that a little out of order, but who cares? Welcome to episode three of the DCP podcast. I am your host, Anthony McAvoy, joined by my two co-hosts, Max Bourne and Daniel Christian. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing great. Feeling great. You know, we had quite the crazy trade deadline in the MLB this week. Um, I... We maybe saw the greatest player to ever be traded at the deadline be traded um, and get maybe one of the biggest hauls that a team has ever gotten. Um, I think before we get to that deal, though, uh, Daniel, your Yankees were pretty trade-happy, don't you think? Yes, even some moves that didn't really make sense, but they made a lot of moves. I will give that to them. that They weren't silent at, at the deadline. So let's let's go through some of these Yankees trades first. So I want to I'm going to go with the first trade that they made and the first big trade that they made in acquiring outfielder Andrew Benintendi from the Kansas City Royals for three pitchers: uh, Tyler Sikama, Beckway, and Chandler Champlain. Um, three minor league guys that. You know, you have no idea if they're going to pan out if you're the Royals, but uh, they are very thin in that minor league pitching staff. Not a lot of, not a lot of good-looking prospects coming up for the Royals. Uh, Daniel, as, as the Yankees fan, I know you were happy about Benintendi. Um, we can say this a little bit more clearly because we're recording this about a week out from the deadline. Benintendi has not looked great. In the pinstripes. That's putting it lightly. He's not looked great, but maybe he's better than Joey Gallo. Look, I'm not going to put any extra hate on Joey Gallo. Uh, I do wish him well in LA. Uh, It's just, it's it's tough playing for the pinstripes. We're going to find out if Andrew Benintendi can play in the pinstripes. Um, Worst case scenario, he's a good defensive outfielder. Uh, and it's a it's really low low risk high reward because we didn't have to give up much of our farm to get him. Uh, so I, I I still like the move. I think he'll be good. Come October, I think he'll he'll, he'll make a difference. I mean, you know, obviously getting Andrew Benintendi means that we're not going to re-sign Brett Gardner or sign Brett Gardner, but I'll, I'll at least be a happiest Benintendi. I, Max, you can go ahead if you had something to say. Uh, my biggest thing about the Yankees and with all the moves they get, they really didn't give up any big prospects. Well, that's so I was I wanted to get to that because the next move that I wanted to talk about um, was to the A's for Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. Uh, Montas, of course, probably the second biggest starting pitcher that was on the trade block after uh, Luis Castillo. Trevino, of course, coming coming into coming into the bullpen is much needed, especially when you're the Yankees when you lost Michael King earlier. Um, or was it Michael King or was it uh, Clay? No, it was Michael King. Clay Holmes has looked awful uh, yes. the last couple times he's he's uh, been out of the pen. Uh, Aroldis Chapman has been nothing but injured and then just choking in the clutch all year. Um, so I think Trevino was a much needed asset. Uh, to bring into the bullpen. So, like I said, bringing in Montas, bringing in Trevino, um, what the A's got back in return. 
J.P. Sears, Cooper Bowman, Luis Medina, and Ken Waldachuk. I'm going to say this. The A's got absolutely robbed in this trade. The fact that you could not pull Oswald Peraza, Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, the fact that the Yankees made three high-profile trades because they also got Harrison Bader in exchange for Jordan Montgomery, which makes no sense to me, um, and got to keep all three, all three of those guys. It is. It, I will say the, the Royals trade makes sense. Getting Benintendi for three pitchers, that's, that's an area of need. But for the A's to give up their ace, and you can argue that Montas and Black, their ace could be Montas or uh, Paul Blackburn. I'd still go Montas. Um, and maybe their best arm out of the bullpen. And you don't get Peraza, Volpe, or Dominguez. What are you doing? So just to comment on that, I did not think when the A's trade went down, we we're going to give a Volpe. I think the Yankees are committed to hold on to him at all costs. I think that's why they didn't really stay in the Soto sweepstakes that long. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, ex- I expected Peraza to be in the deal. Um, or Dominguez. Or do, Yeah, or Dominguez. I was It was highway robbery. That and I say that as a Yankees fan, highway robbery. I felt I felt a little bad for the A's because it was like taking candy from a baby. Um, because Yankees not only got a closer and a pitcher, but Montez is not a free agent after this year. This no. wasn't a rental. He has he has I think another year in his deal. I think. I yeah no he's not a free agent at the end of the year. And you get a closer who Clay Holmes obviously right now is going through something. I don't think it's that some people are thinking it's just because Clay Holmes is not a good closer. I think it's because they used him too much in May and June. I think right now he's got a case of the, I think his arms just going a little bit dead right now. Mm -hmm. I think if you are Aaron Boone, you look at the division and you say, look, I've got a 10 game lead. I'm going to put Clay Holmes on the IL for 15 days, something like that. Just let him rest. That's why they said Seve was furious that he's on the 60-day IL because he said he feels fine. But Aaron Boone doesn't want to, doesn't want to risk it because obviously Seve's coming back from uh, Tommy John. Uh, but it was a very critical trade for the Yankees to make because obviously Garrett Cole is our number one. We don't have a set number two. We have a lot of guys that could be number two. Um Sevy could be our number two. Uh, Nasty Nestor could be our number two. Uh, who knows? Maybe it could have been Monty, but we'll never find that out. Thanks, Cashman. Um, but it's now Montez. Montez is our number two. And then you can really slide in Nestor at three, or Nestor or Sevy at three. And, or Nestor doesn't really like to pitch, pitch a lot of innings. He usually gives you five innings. And playoffs, we know it's a shorter leash. So you could have Seve pitch game three and have a mixture of Nestor as like an opener slash four-inning guy and then roll in with like like Nestor with four innings and then Tyone with another three or four, maybe have them split the game. You've got a lot of options. Uh, but like I said, I, th- I thought the A's trade was the best trade that the Yankees made by far. 
Benintendi, time will tell. I'm still very happy about that trade. I'm not really worried about Benintendi just yet. We're going to get to the Monty trade a little bit later. You want to – well, because I was going to get to the Monty trade now. <laughs> that trade was um, that trade was awful. That trade, to me, makes absolutely zero sense. That may have been the worst trade at the deadline. So can I get into why it was a bad trade? Absolutely, because it's – right, well, so what I'll, what I'll say as a non-Yankees fan is I'm looking at this going, okay, what did, what did the Yankees need starting pitching? What did the Yankees just give up starting pitching? Yes, you got Montas, but again, you just, you just mentioned the injuries to Seve, the fact that Luis Severino is still on the 60-day DL and isn't coming back right now. The fact that, you know, again, Jordan Montgomery was pitching very well. I'm not going to say that he was pitching out of his mind fantastic, but he was winning you ball games when the offense wasn't helping out, which again is kind of just par for the course for the Yankees in the past couple of years. What I don't like about this trade is, yeah, you know, you don't really like Aaron Hicks out in center field. So you trade for a guy who might not even play the rest of the year. And you trade a starter, you trade an arm that you needed that come playoff time could be very important. And you just, they're gone. For a guy that may not even play. I don't think it has anything to do with Aaron Hicks. Here's my take. So they asked Cashman on a radio. I don't know if you, any of you have listened to it. They asked him why they made the trade. Because that's what all Yankee fans and all baseball fans are wondering. Cashman said, Monty was not part of the postseason plan, but they needed another outfielder. No, you don't need another outfielder because you've got you can literally put Stanton at right field, Judge at center, Benintendi left field. What what do we need another outfielder for? Who and might you not just even play? traded for one? Exactly. That's you can. I don't think Hicks plays in the postseason. Personally, I, I mean, I wouldn't, especially if Benintendi's playing really well. And this is in no order. I think your outfielders are going to be Benintendi, Judge, Stanton. You're going to have Carpenter as a DH. Mm-hmm. That's four. Donaldson, third base. Glaber, he's been playing a little bit of shortstop, second base. Or he's been playing more second base. Second base, IKF. And then you have Rizzo. And then behind the plate, you have um, – I mean, you Trevino. can put Trevino. So that's nine. Hicks isn't going to – Hicks is just a body while Stanton's down. Because I, Hicks is just not good right now. Um, and I think the Hicks experiment needs, needs to end. But Monty, we're wondering why is Clay Holmes doing bad? I believe he's been overused. Mm-hmm. I believe Michael King might have hurt his elbow because he's been overused. Chapman's not doing good because he's been overused. Why has the bullpen been overused? Because they're having to play a lot because our pitchers aren't going deep, which is why we got started pitching. So why are we getting rid of Montgomery? I don't care if he's not the postseason plan. He needs to be used in the regular season so we don't have to use our bullpen arms. Well, and then even if he's not in the postseason plan as a starter, convert him to a relief pitcher 
a long relief pitcher who, if you're, you know, or an, game, opener. Or an opener, you know, game two against Houston, you know, if, if that game, if that series happens, game two against Houston, you have a starter get lit up in the first inning. All right, throw Jordan Montgomery out there. Let him pitch four or five innings, and then you're not having to stress the bullpen more than is already going to be stressed come playoff time. I just the trade makes zero sense to me, especially because again, Harrison Bader is currently on the IL with plantar fasciitis, and the Cardinals were in quotes hopeful that he would return before the postseason. I went before that. Before the Montgomery trade, I'd given the Yankees an A, an A. Only thing to make it A plus was if I guess Soto, and I'd said they had the the second best trade deadline. Uh, they finished at a B plus because that last trade was bad and left a sour taste in my mouth. I'm still happy with the trade deadline overall, but and then M- Monty just gave us a big screw you and pitched a shutout and beat us one to zero and left me depressed and watching Monty Yankee highlights. <laughs> and after before the Montgomery trade, and Max, I'm gonna let you go. Before the Montgomery trade, I said, you know what? Screw it. We're beating Houston. This is it. Now back to losing to Houston in seven. The biggest thing with the Yankees, and I think especially now, is because they had such a rocket start to the season, and things have kind of cooled off a little bit uh, post All Star break. You wonder if the moves that they made pre-All-Star break were like, okay, we can take some hits, you know, we'll still be good for October, right? But I'm wondering what this kind of stretch and what these moves that the Yankees are making are doing to the morale of the team, you know? Losing Losing some guys who might be good, like locker room guys, right? And losing a good starting pitcher in Montgomery, it's... Wild to see that. Now, do I think they're going to be fine in the playoffs? Yeah, it's the Yankees, whatever, right? But <laughs> see, that should make you think the obvious. Are they going to do all right in the playoffs? Well, they're the Yankees, so maybe not. <laughs> I mean, correct. Who knows what's going to happen? You hope that they can turn it around, or if you're in in uh, an opposer of the division, you hope they keep on doing what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the biggest thing that I want to look at is also how you bring up starting pitching. And you're like, you're like, Cole's obviously our number one. He's obviously your number one, but he had a terrible start against the Mariners. Correct. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm wondering if that kind of pitcher comes into the playoffs, what do you do? So um, can I use this to segue into the Mariners? And I'm also include the Yankees. Well, so I, so I want to, I want to say, I want to say one thing before we segue to the Mariners, because I was going to segue to them next because we were talking about Yankees starting pitching. So I just, I want to say we have to remember that the Yankees before the All Star break were playing 500 baseball. They are currently after the All Star break, after the trade deadline, playing under 500 baseball. They've been under 500 for the last two months. Correct. Mm-hmm. Eight, 18 and 22. 18 and 22 in the last month and a half, two months. Um, and the pitcher that everybody thought the Yankees was going were going to get, um, the Seattle Mariners got in Luis Castillo. Um, Which after Luis, seeing the haul, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Luis Castillo, after playing for the Reds for – you know, I, I believe he's been with the Reds his entire professional career. 
um, after playing with the Reds and all year, even before the season, being a potential trade target, the Mariners finally pull the trigger. They give up number one prospect, Noel V. Marte, uh, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore. Uh, they go to the Reds for Luis Castillo. <laughs> In Luis Castillo's debut, going into the bottom of the first inning, he has a 6 nothing lead. Um, because Garrett Cole gave up, what, four home runs in the first inning? Most of the most he's ever had. I, I believe well, it was 6 nothing, regardless. And I, I want to say there was there was a home run in there to Jared Kellenick, and that should yeah, be all you need. That's, that's all you really four need to know. That's all you need to hear. <laughs> there was a, Andrew, uh, Andrew Kellenick hit a home run, and Andrew Kellenick – or is it Andrew or Jared? It's, uh, Jared. It's, it's Jared, it's Jared Kellenick. Kellenick. Uh, he sucks. And he hit a home run in the first inning, and he bats eighth. So if you're hitting a home run in the first inning, batting eighth, that's a pretty good day. That's a pretty (laughs) good first inning. Um, Luis Castillo locked it down and looked really good in the start. Um, Daniel, would you have rather gotten Castillo or Montas as a Yankees fan? So that's a good question, and I'm going to answer this way. I would have rather got Castillo – but when I saw the hall, I'm happy with Montez. Oh, looking, knowing yeah. that the top of that trade was Noel V. Marte, Volpe, Peraza, or Dominguez is gone in that trade. I would We're have, yeah, I would rather them. have us got away with highway robbery, but obviously Castillo is a better pitcher. No one's doubting that. Um, <sighs> Mariners have turned into a World Series contender. I will say that. Uh, do I think they'll win the World Series? No, because this is a lot like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of use this in tennis references. Obviously, to win a Grand Slam in tennis, you pretty much have to beat Nadal and Djokovic, mm-hmm. and there's a few players that can beat one, but not both of them in the same run. That's gonna be the Mariners' situation. They're gonna have to beat the Yankees and the Astros to make the World Series. I could, I, I could, I would not be surprised if they went in and beat the Astros in a seven-game series, or they came in and beat the Yankees in a seven-game series. But I don't see them winning two series against both teams. Could they? Yes, I just don't see it. They had the best opportunity outside the Yankees and the Astros, however, to make to make the World Series, in my opinion. I I agree with that a hundred percent. I think with the way that that team is producing and performing. Um, I think they needed another starting pitcher and they went out and got the best one available. Um, and yeah, they gave up Noel V. Marte, who I thought, to be completely honest, could have been pulled up this year, if not next year. Uh, you're getting, I don't want to say a career year out of J.P. Crawford. You're getting a really good year out of J.P. Crawford at shortstop. Um, you're getting a really good year out of Adam Frazier at second base. You're getting a really good year out of Ty France at first. You're getting a good year out of Eugenio Suarez, and he had a really bad year last year. Um, and then, of course, you've got the rookie of the year in Julio Rodriguez. Um, and if anybody says that it's not Julio Rodriguez, you're just dumb. Watch baseball. Um, but looking at the pitching side, you wondered, you know, they let you say Kikuchi walk in free agency to the Blue Jays, and now that kind of ends up looking like a good idea because he has not looked good. Um, and the bullpen, you know, has been, oh, it's been okay. It hasn't been great at times. But I, we we kind of talked about this before the All-Star break, and I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. We didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we've talked about it 
um, amongst ourselves is I thought that it was a really bad time for the all-star break to happen. When you go in with what a 13, 14 game winning streak, 14, 14 game winning streak. And then they come out and immediately get the Astros. Um, of course they lost two of the three in that series, but, um, I thought they've looked, they've looked so good even out of the all-star break. And, you know, even, even in the games that they lost to the Yankees, the Yankees didn't blow them out. They were close games. You know, the Yankees were up, what, 6-0 in that in, in game one, and then all of a sudden, bam, it's like 6-4, 6-5. Unfortunately. Yeah, like just, just out of nowhere. So I, I think that this is a Mariners team that if you try to overlook them, they're going to beat you. And I think that this is a Mariners team that could potentially make the ALCS. I do not see them in the World Series because it's it's essentially like you said, you're not gonna beat you're not gonna beat Djokovic and Nadal to get you're not gonna beat both. You can beat one, but you're not gonna beat both because of what it takes to beat one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I liked the Castillo trade. I understood what they had to give up. Um, I want to talk about the Reds in a little bit um, near the end of the segment, but we've got some other important stuff to get into first. Uh, before we move on, Max, did you have anything on the Castillo trade? No, I mean, you're giving up a lot, but you're not giving up as much as what some other team did. Um. And I mean, you got a pretty pretty great pitcher in Luis Castillo. Um, I don't really have much to say about that. It was a see how it works out kind of trade, you know. <laughs> All right, let's let's quickly. I want to talk about how the Angels blew it up. Um, they traded Rysel Iglesias, their closer to the Braves. They also traded a uh, starting pitcher, their number two. Uh, Noah Syndergaard and Brandon Marsh, who both of them, well, Syndergaard was on a one-year deal. Brandon Marsh had a lot of control left. Uh, were both traded to the Phillies, and they got Mickey Moniak, Logan O'Hop, and Yadiel Sanchez out of that trade. Um, I think I think the Phillies, with that trade, to get a, a legitimate starter and then another guy in that outfield to kind of help out while Bryce Harper's gone, I think the Phillies have a legit chance to make the playoffs. Um, I think the Phillies have more of a chance to make the playoffs now than the Cardinals do, uh, because I think what the Cardinals did, the deadline just, you know, Montgomery helped and um, uh, Jose Quintana helped, but I don't think that's going to move the needle. Um, I think they needed a little bit more pitching help. I think the Cardinals are in jeopardy of not making the playoffs. Oh, okay. I I, I respond to that. Go ahead. (laughs) So, I see. I see. I, I agree with half, and I disagree with half. Here's what I, I agree with: Phillies are making the playoffs. I'm going to tell you that mm-hmm. they have already, right now, if the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs, and that's without Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper comes back, I think they're going to take off. Right. I think the one that's in trouble is the Brewers. I I could I could see that 100. percent And right. since since we're there. Since you the brought Cardinals up the Brewers, have, have a one-game lead in the division. Yes, I think what they did, and I like their decision. They stayed pat. Mm-hmm. They like they have a lot of young guys, Matt, minus Yachty and Albert Pujols, and, and they Wayne said, Wright. yeah, and they said, you know what, we're going to get a pitcher in Monty, and we're going to we're going to give him an outfielder who probably won't play this year. Ha ha, sucks to suck, Yankees, but and we're going to stay pat, and I like it. Where, meanwhile, the Brewers decided we're going to give up people for nothing. Well, let's let's get into that. 
because, and well, I'm going to talk about all three of this team's trades at one time. The San Diego Padres <laughs> in the trade deadline got Brandon Drury from the Reds for, let me get back to my notes here, uh, Victor Acosta. They got Josh Hader from the Brewers, the best closer in baseball for Taylor Rogers, Danielson Lamette, who was DFA'd immediately and is no longer and is a member of the Colorado Rockies. Uh Estuary uh, Esturi Ruiz and Robert Gasser. That was just for Josh Hader. Now that'd be a good haul if that was it. They also got Josh Bell from the Washington Nationals and maybe the best player in baseball. Youngest player, let me put it that way. The best youngest player in baseball. Juan Soto for Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Luke Voigt, James Wood, Yarlene Susana, and Robert Hassel III. The Padres lineup, crazy, with Machado, Soto, Josh Bell, uh, Jake Cronenworth. Tatis um, Jr. coming. Tatis, Tatis will be back. Um, uh, Grisham, you've got – who else they have playing in, in the outfield? Um, I can't remember now. But now you've got Josh Hader to close it. You've got Brandon Drury to play – second base or DH and you they they traded Eric Hosmer mostly because they forgot to ask him if he'd want to go to Washington but the San Diego Padres could legitimately win the World Series well the Padres ended up trading Luke Voigt instead of well yeah they but they did they did trade Hosmer to the Red Sox because they had to yes I'm just saying Luke Voigt was the one that went to the Nationals instead yes 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 um but yeah, do what are the odds now that the San Diego Padres fellas win the World Series? If you had to, if you had to go on a scale of one to ten, what is the likelihood that they win the World Series? In the NL, I think they have the second best odds to win the NL behind the Mets. To win the entire thing, I think they have the third best odds. You know what? I'm still going to stick with second. I'm going to stick with second. I think they're better than the Yankees and Astros. Yeah, I'm uh, – hmm. it's interesting. I because... didn't prep either of them for this question. They right. had no idea it was coming. <laughs> no, I mean, and that, that's good. But I think – they definitely have a struggle to get through both the Dodgers and the Mets in the NL. And that's a challenge for anyone. You know, even if, even though the Padres have a super team, it's still a challenge. Their pitching is eh. when it makes up for when it comes to hater and Musgroves, you Darvish has not looked great sometimes. Um, so I think they have enough to potentially make it to the world series but I don't know if they outright win it because I don't know if they could beat either the Yankees or the Astros right now. I think the San Diego Padres win the World Series. 
I really do. And it, it could be me just riding the hype. And if it is, I'm totally cool with it because I'm having a great time. Um, Here's my reason why. Yes, I think that the Padres pitching could stand to get a little bit better. Um, But if you catch any of their pitchers on their best day, they're unhittable. Mm-hmm. With Manaya, with Darvish, Clevenger, Musgrove. I can't even remember who they have starting at five, but it doesn't matter because in the playoffs you have a four-man rotation, if that. Um, if you are down by one to two, maybe even three runs going into the ninth inning, you are not winning that game because Josh Hader is winning the game. Josh Hader has the highest career strikeout rate at 28 years old in MLB history. Juan Soto is the best 23-year-old baseball player I think just about any of us have seen. Juan Soto is maybe this generation's Ted Williams. Ted Williams, you know, won, won a World Series, won several MVPs. I'm looking at this lineup, and I understand, you know, oh, the Mets have really good pitching. You can't shut down all nine guys in a lineup for an entire game, especially when that lineup is Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Fernando Tatis Jr., Jake Cronenworth, who has a really nice bat that I don't think many people talk about, Josh Bell, I think I said Josh Bell already. Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury. Jorge Alfaro, who has been a really good catcher for them this year. There's nowhere that I see a significant weakness in this team. With the Dodgers, I think their starting pitching in bullpen could kill them come playoff time. Not having a healthy Clayton Kershaw, who just got put back on the IL this week, Having Julio Urias, who is having an okay year, but not the year that we expected. There's also another bat we forgot about the Padres, Jerks and Profar. Jerks and Profar, who's having a really <laughs> good year. Um, but with the Dodgers, then you're sitting there going, okay, is Tony is Tony Gonsolin our best option that we have at pitcher right now? Maybe. You know, looking at the Mets, Jacob DeGrom is back. For how long? That's question one. Question two is, First start against the Nationals, he gets one run of offense. That's it. And they lose the game to the Nationals. Day of Soto trade. Not day after, not day before, day of Soto trade. So this is a team that didn't have Juan Soto or Josh Bell. They had minor leaguers, and they beat Jacob DeGrom. Of course, it was a tie game when Jacob DeGrom left. The Braves, the Braves are a really good team. I think that they still have a legitimate chance, but they have weaknesses. The The bullpen is not as great as it was last year. The starting pitching is not as great as it was last year. I think Ozzie Albee, them not having Ozzie Albies is going to be a bigger thing come playoff time than having Acuna, than not having Acuna last year. Um, Austin Riley's having a great a great year so far. Uh, Matt Olson has looked really good. But I'm looking at this Padres team, and I don't see a legitimate weakness. I just don't. So here's my only concern about them is 
you have to burn two or three of your pitchers in that wild card round, and then you'll mm-hmm. have to face the Dodgers or the Mets. You'd almost rather face the Dodgers because if you have to burn your two best pitchers and then boom, you got to play Scherzer. <laughs> you're what? not winning game one. Well, but then... you don't know that. You don't know that though, because again, you know, and Scherzer, Scherzer is maybe still a top five pitcher in the game. You don't know what kind of night you catch him on, especially with a lineup that the Padres have. This is a lineup that you could be down six runs in the ninth inning and could still win. You you rather play the Dodgers though? That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no, I'd much rather play the Dodgers because I think they're the weaker team, even though they have the best record of baseball. Even though the Dodgers so far have manhandled the Padres, which is very surprising. Yeah, still, because I I think I think come playoff time. There's just a different aura because I think the Padres know that at this point, there's no way they're going to win the division. So let's just try to be competitive and stay in a high wild card spot instead of we need to go all out to try to win the division because they they know it's not going to happen. I mean, I I agree. It's going to be interesting. No, you got. That's all. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I really think these playoffs are going to be very, very fun. You know, uh, seeing all the all the different talents that are out there. You know, having the best teams face each other. That's the whole point of the playoffs, right? <laughs> but I don't know. I'm still not 100 sold that this Padres team can win the World Series. Personally, I'm drinking the Kool Aid and I'm fine with it. Well, I would it's just like to say I made the Kool-Aid because before the season I bragged and raved about the Slam Diego Padres. And you know, y'all were a little hesitant, understandable, but they they also didn't have Juan Soto. I'm but, still holding true to what I am. <laughs> but I, I I still I it's like I envisioned it. I kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, so I would, if they win the world series, I really hope I get an invitation to the parade, uh, because one, that'd be very cool. And two, who doesn't want to go to San Diego? Also, obviously I feel sorry for Luke Floyd. I mean, I'm really sorry, buddy. (laughs) You went from getting thrown off the Yankees to being in a pennant race with the slam Diego Padres to not being included in this Juan Soto trade for a couple hours. You're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to win the world series. I'm with Juan Soto to wait a minute. I'm leaving San Diego, going to cold old Washington where the team is the worst team in baseball with no future. Get me out of here. If I'm Luke Floyd, I don't even play another game until they trade me. The thing is he's looked really good in Washington so far. <laughs> I know it really, it just pains me. I, I feel so. I, I, I love Luke Floyd. I mean, the dude like literally sits there with half his Jersey and butt with all that swag. I mean, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Forever Yankee. Also, I would just like to say if any team won the trade deadline, it's the Cincinnati Reds. Cause the hall of prospects that they got is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, except, the, except the Padres. Padres won that trade. Well, the Padres. Oh, the def, the Padres definitely won the trade. Uh, well, getting Juan Soto is just winning. I don't. I don't care who you give up. It's it's winning. Uh, but the Cincinnati Reds, I think, in the next couple of years, if if those prospects pan out, uh, they're 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 going to be good. Maybe not great, but they'll be good. Better than they are now. <laughs> Tolerable. Tolerable. All right, fellas, are we ready to move on? 
Absolutely. All right, let's move on. We've got a little bit of a more fun, you know, not serious talk subject here. Uh, I sent you guys this graphic that I found. Uh, I believe I found it on Twitter uh, from at CFB Kings. Um, and it's a graphic about building your ideal college football program. Um, in this graphic, of course, there are several areas of, you know, what what you would how you would build it, you know, based on um, that team to fit that category. So, for example, segment one uh, is success. Um, in CFB Kings, they said Alabama. So you would want your program to have the success of Alabama. Uh, and so on and so forth. It'll make more sense as we go along, but I figured it would be it would be fun for all three of us to build our ideal college football program. So we're going to go through this graphic, and we've each got an answer for all of these, and we will see how different all of our programs are. So, Max... For your ideal college football program, you want the success of? I went back and forth with this one because, you know, looking at all-time success, the number, number one team up there is Ohio State. You know, and I was thinking, wow, you know, Ohio State's pretty fantastic program. But you're looking at, like, continued success and everything with that. I think it's a no-brainer to go with Alabama. You know, and especially with save, they have 14 champ national championships, right? And you're looking, and, and with Saban saying last year was a rebuilding year when they made the national championship. Are you kidding me? I want to have that success of being the top dog, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I think if you don't go with Alabama, um, I mean, Alabama has just been dominant. You, can 100% guarantee when you each year when you preview college football that okay it's going to be Alabama and who are the other three teams right for me I brought mine down to Alabama Ohio State Oklahoma um I chose and I'm going to get a little cheeky here I chose Nick Saban era Alabama because remember Starting from about the late 90s to the early, uh, what, Saban took over in 2008, up to Saban taking over, Alabama was a dumpster fire. Mm -hmm. uh, they lost to UCF and Louisiana Monroe. Um, actually, they didn't lose to UCF. It was Louisiana Monroe, and they lost at home to Louisiana Monroe. Um, so Alabama was a dumpster fire. So I want the Saban Alabama or the Bear Bryant Alabama. They were both very successful um, but Alabama overall. Max, you want the stadium atmosphere, not the stadium, but the stadium atmosphere of. This one was also tough for me <laughs> because so many college football stadiums have great atmospheres to them, you know? But there's two that just go absolutely insane. One of them being LSU, every game, absolutely insane. They go wild over there right but i think this one trumps it penn state whiteout night <laughs> trumps it because they are insane i mean you hear you hear the noise levels mm -hmm. 
and they literally first play of the game, the team can't hear anything. We've mm-hmm. seen that done multiple times on wideout night. So I think I have to go with Penn State on wideout night as the one. But if we're talking about continued, LSU Death Valley, baby. <laughs> so Max, if if you Max's is Penn State wideout night every night. Every night. <laughs> I kid you not, I wrote on mine, Penn State wideout night. I mean, it is absolutely it's insane. It's insane. insane. <laughs> I don't care who Penn State's playing. If you tell me it's a wideout night, I'm tuning in because it's electric. Um, but no, I got to go Penn State wideout night. I'd also like to go one more, though. Penn State wideout night and Virginia Tech coming out of COVID. Those mm-hmm. two are the best ones. But no, Penn State wideout night. So, fellas, it's really funny because Penn State Whiteout Night was also my number two. There you go. <laughs> Penn State Whiteout Night is the greatest atmosphere, I think, for a single game. I think Whiteout Night would get a little old every week, and I think that's why I, I would say Whiteout Night at least once in the year. I'm going LSU's Tiger Stadium for my stadium atmosphere. Uh, being down there in Baton Rouge, you know, middle of SEC country, you could literally outside of Vanderbilt put any SEC stadium in stadium atmosphere, and it would make sense. You know, maybe maybe not a Missouri. Uh, everybody else makes sense. I also had Kyle Field on my list for Texas A&M. I had Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on my list for Florida. There's a lot of Florida on my list that I didn't go straight Florida all the time. But, uh, I mean – you could you could go with uh oh I forgot Alabama Stadium name um uh it's not Ben Hill I can't remember we're we're just anyway I got I yeah I went Tiger Stadium I went with LSU uh because I I just think that crowd is ridiculous yeah um, I mean, especially when well. LSU especially when LSU is good mm-hmm. and I think they're going to be really good here again in the very near future if not this year um but yeah so two Penn State wideouts. One Tiger Stadium with a Penn State whiteout night in there at some point. <laughs> um, Max, the culture of your program would be the culture of. I think I'm going to have to go with Clemson's culture. You know, Howard's Rock, great, great, great culture, great atmosphere. The stadium itself, especially when Cle- and Clemson is good is fantastic and just the culture around Howard's walk how like everyone comes out touches that rock it's a good luck thing i really like that that sentiment for culture i'm gonna have to go with the florida gators um i <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> if if you don't see anthony anthony's doing the chop uh the chomp I mean, don't say the, the chop that's an insult don't you do that <laughs> don't no, you do no, that no no keep on doing that it's funny <laughs> chopping it up yeah. how dare you how dare you no their culture is great and that's why so many great players have wanted to play there you know, tim tebow cam newton uh you know aaron hernandez urban really Myers, great people urban Myers wants to coach people. there <laughs> um i mean you know I would love a documentary of Tim T and Aaron Hernandez having a conversation, but that's 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 for the oh, day and time. There needs there needs to be a thirty for thirty on that two thousand eight Florida team. Um, but no, it's a it's it's a great it's a great culture, and they're continuing now. Uh, I think they've got a a crap load of recruits come in, so obviously mm-hmm. they're coming in for the culture. So I've got to give it to the Florida Gators because they continue. They have a couple down years, so is every college football program not named Alabama, uh, but. 
I mean, th- the culture is what keeps him keeps him going. Man, I'm fired up. I might want to change mine. Um, <laughs> man, I'm chop, fired. Chop up. it, chop it, chop it. Stop it, stop <laughs> it, stop. None of that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go a little. I'm gonna go a little bit different here. My three that I chose for culture was Virginia Tech, Michigan State, and Notre Dame. And I'm going with the culture of Notre Dame because you get the history of winning football. You get, you know, Notre Dame was a part of that first big, you know, revolution of football with the Four Horsemen and Newt Rockney. Um, you know, I, I just, I love the history behind Notre Dame. You get, uh, you get stuff like the movie Rudy. Max, don't you dare. Um, because I know what you're going to say and I'm not going to let you do it. Um, but you just, you get, there's something magical about Notre Dame football. And I would love to just have that magical feeling about my program all the time, regardless of how the team is, you know, because there were those, there were those years before, um, the Deshaun, uh, not Deshaun, um, the Everett years, um, the year they went to the national championship got destroyed by Alabama before they were really good. And they were just kind of a middle, middle of the pack team. And, you know, they've always had good players. Um, but I just, I love the allure that comes with Notre Dame football, the, I just being as iconic as Notre Dame football. So I'm going with Notre Dame for the culture of my program. Max, if you had this school's campus for your program, it would be this school. This is also another tough one because there are so many beautiful campuses in the college landscape. But I think I'm going to go with a bit of a quiet one, but it's Stanford. Stanford's campus in Palo Alto is absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Just the the rock work and like you could see yourself walking through there and being at peace. It's absolutely beautiful, and man, I, I just it's, this is a hard one. This is a really, really hard one because there's there's another really good one in like, but Stanford, man, Stanford's different. I'm going bold. I'm going ACC here because so I have a lot of people who have been on this campus on football Saturday and have talked about how it's absolutely electric, especially in the last couple of years. NC State. Mm-hmm. They've got an up-and-coming program, and Saturdays at NC State have become electric for college football. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, the, between pregame, between during the game, it's just, it's a great atmosphere. NC State continues to get better and better. I think they're going to continue to get better and contend. I think they can contend for the ACC this year, mm-hmm. which is going to mean Saturdays. Is it going to be even more fun for NC State football? So I've got them on campus. Well, and then the- and then remember the location of being inside the triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, I mean, that's just a fantastic – they don't get a Franklin Street like like UNC gets, but being in, in the Raleigh-Durham triangle is just fantastic. Well, and it's good because in that triangle, it's Duke, it's Carolina for all sports. Mm-hmm. This is the one sport NC State can say, you know what, we're superior. Right, right. And Carolina fans or who are listening to this will be like, oh, no, Mac is back, blah, blah, blah. Carolina was up 11 with a minute to go and choke, so they can just sit down for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> so for mine, I've got, I've got one that I'm 
Florida's on my list. Florida's not who I chose. Uh, my other two, who it really came down to, is UCF in smack dab in Orlando, Florida. Uh, you know, a lot of things to do in Orlando. Great area. I vacation there so many times. It's not. It's not even funny. Um, the school I went with is Coastal Carolina. Being nine minutes from Myrtle Beach, um, I I just think I I think that the buildings on that campus are beautiful. I think um, that little metropolitan area that they are in are really nice, and then just being able to just go be on the beach, uh, kind of whenever you want. Um, I I think that that's a great, that's a great, uh, little campus a perk really. Um, all right, Max, you would have your program's stadium designed after this team. I want to have to go with, uh, Lavelle Edwards stadium, home of the BYU Cougars is my personal choice. It's absolutely stunning. Just the way that it is designed and everything like that. And it can hold 63,470 people, which, you know, isn't, is nothing to like, you know, look, look down on. But I think the design of that stadium is just absolutely stunning, and that's my pick. So this is just because I remember this as my childhood, and I will always answer this. Give me the Boise State Bluefield. That's That was that's up there one. for me. I that's love the Boise State Bluefield. That Oh, my gosh. Just watching – I never even cared about Boise State football. They could be down 50 to nothing for all I care. Give me that <laughs> Boise State Bluefield. You want the and blue with the, turf. With the blue turf, orange end zones. Oh, my. It's, it's <laughs> one it's of the – Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful stadiums in I itself. It, I say it this way. We're all in our 20s in this podcast. At this age, men need women. Women need men. I need that blue turf. <laughs> I want to say another good one was uh, Western Kentucky's uh, before, like the red red turf that they had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, and now, was good, too. Now you can also say Eastern Washington, who has gray turf, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty nice. Um, so I also put Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on my list. I did not choose it. Um, I put the Rose Bowl on my list as well that's a good one did not i did not pick the rose bowl um i put washington's husky stadium on my list and they are also not my pick but i i do like husky stadium they've got really interesting uh the sides of theirs the way that they do it is really cool i'm going with boone Pickens stadium um the home of the oklahoma state cowboys um, I love the brickwork that they use there. I just, I love the, it's not a massive stadium. It's not a big SEC stadium like Florida. Um, but the way that it's built just kind of makes you feel closer to the action. And I don't need a hundred thousand fans to be loud. And I feel like I've heard Boone Pickens stadium be really, really loud and I like that. And again, I just, I love the brickwork that they use. I just, I love how close you kind of feel to the action, even watching the game um, on TV. So I went with Boone Pickens Stadium for my stadium. Max, this might be the most important question. You would have the uniforms of 
I don't think this is much of a question as it is a statement. It's the Oregon Ducks. <laughs> they have stunning uniforms year to year to year. They're batting a thousand when it comes to uniform design and helmets look look absolutely stunning. Gotta go with the Ducks, baby. Got that Phil Knight money. Or Oregon Ducks, everything Max said. No debate. <laughs> well, see, I will debate because the Oregon Ducks didn't even make my list. Um, I went to Oklahoma State. I like the black and orange a lot. I like I like their uniform combinations. I went Arizona State. Um, I like some of their military stuff they do. The the red, yellow, black. Um, I think that's a really good combination. I went Boise State because I'm a sucker for blue and orange. Um, but I went the Old Miss Rebels as my uniforms. A classic dark navy blue with the navy blue helmet, white pants. Uh, you get that baby powder blue uniform, which I I'm a sucker for anything powder blue. Um, and you get those. Um, you get the powder blue helmets. You get the red jersey as well. You got the white helmet and the, the all white jersey. Um, I just I, I like those uniforms a lot, mostly because they're just simple. Um, and I think that yeah, while while I think Oregon does have some really good uniforms, I think that there are plenty of misses in there as well. Um, and I I I don't see anything wrong with simplicity at times like i really enjoy alabama's uniforms and they are literally a red jersey and a red helmet with a number on the side (laughs) (laughs) um so i i do i do tend to like some simplicity um so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go ole miss uh i also would have put florida on this list as well all right max when your players enter the field you want it to be like this school i'm talking about enter sam and virginia tech baby that's the kind of atmosphere I want to start the game. Everyone's going hype. It's all I need. Enter Sandman, Virginia Tech. Book it. <laughs> I'm going to go another ACC school. Give me Clemson. You know, everyone, you know, everyone's touching the rock. You're, you're, hud- you're huddled, and then you run, run down the hill. Give me Clemson, man. It gives me chills every time, especially when they're dominant. Clemson, Clemson was number two for me. Number one was Enter Sandman. Give me Metallica when I'm running on the field. Give me, give me how the fans react to that and how they all just love it and how the players love it. I, I want Enter Sandman when I'm, when when I'm running onto the field. I just if you can, if you've never heard Enter Sandman, please listen to it. It's a great. Song. I can't think of a of a better pump up song as I'm running onto the field to play Ohio State or you know whatever opponent I'm playing. But the Enter Sandman. When Ohio State went to Virginia Tech a couple years ago and Tech beat them, that Enter Sandman was ridiculous. Um, and I'm not even a Tech fan. I, on to be completely honest, kind of hate Virginia Tech. But <laughs> I, there's no better player entrance in college football other than Howard's Rock at Clemson than Virginia Tech coming into Enter Sandman. All right, Max, you want the student section of this school? I want the student section of the 12th man, Texas A&M Aggies. They will go to bat for their team, and they're not afraid to go at the opposing opposing team at all. They are there from the beginning of kickball, kickoff to even after postgame. They will be there to support their team no matter what, and that student section is electric. I've got two. I've got number two is Florida. The chomp. Thank you. Is... <laughs> 
I mean, electric and those fans just, they love some Florida football. Obviously I'm sitting with one of the biggest Florida fans I've ever met in my entire life. Number one, I'm going to have to go with the Auburn Tigers. Oh, no that ma- student section's ridiculous. That's, that's no matter if they're yeah. no matter if they're six and six or they're contending for a national championship, that student section is ridiculous. I think of the kick six, the play was great, but the student's reaction was bananas. Especially no. given that Chris Davis was running to the student section end zone. Emphasis <laughs> on it was bananas. <laughs> How um, dare you? You stop that. <laughs> But I, you know, I loved it. It, uh, I love the the students. Say. Auburn games are fun, no matter what. I usually when they're bad, like they, they've been just mediocre the past two years. I just tune into Auburn home games because it's it's electric, especially Auburn, Alabama at Auburn. Oh my god! Whenever the Iron Bowl <laughs> is in Jordan Hare Stadium, you have to watch it. I love it. It's yeah. again emphasis on bananas. <laughs> god, I, he's doing everything he can to get kicked off the podcast. <laughs> Um, no. So I honestly, I wanted to go every SEC stadium except Vanderbilt and Missouri. Um, Vanderbilt doesn't have a student section. (laughs) They have Skip Bayless. That's it. They literally have like Skip Bayless and Dansby Swanson. That's about it. Uh, but I, I went with the Homer pick here. I, I went with Florida. The, the Florida student section is ridiculous being that they sit where it says in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, this is the swamp or welcome to the swamp. I can't remember how they say it. Um, but I, I just, I love, I absolutely love the Florida student section. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, especially, especially, and the thing is, it's, it's kind of at every home game because, as you know, for like bigger SEC teams, especially like Florida and Auburn and everything like that, it doesn't matter if your team is good. It doesn't matter if they're bad. They're going to show up because SEC football is just like that. SEC football is that guy. Um, and I'll, I'll say that. I'll, I'll be the one to say that because I'm, I'm maybe one of the biggest SEC homers that you'll ever meet. I, SEC football is just superior to everybody hence why two of the last four national championships were played between two sec teams um i i just i think that the student section at any sec school is going to be ridiculous uh but again me being the homer that i am uh i'm picking florida and it's not the last time i picked florida either um but i'm i'm gonna go the florida student section for mine max and i'm hoping we all have the same answer here um the band that you roll out at halftime will be this school's band. I mean, is this even a question? It, but we all better have the same answer. It's Ohio State. It's Ohio State. It's absolutely Ohio, Ohio, State. Ohio State. Okay, yeah. No, the <laughs> other, like, I literally looked at this, and that was the only one that I'm pretty, like, I looked at this graphic by CFP CFB Kings. That's where this graphic is from uh, on Twitter, or you can find them on Instagram as well. Um, I looked at this graphic and literally that's the first answer that I got. I was like, all right, uh, band Ohio State. Cool. Yeah. No, cool. It's, do it's, we, it, it's not a question. Yeah. Do we even need to talk about why we picked Ohio State or should we just like tell people to go look up the Ohio State band on YouTube? Look them up on YouTube. Anytime they come out to the field, it, they, they, the props that they use and especially when the, uh, the band, I forget what he's called, like a band leader, does mm-hmm. that, does the, the step, major. does the step with the set, with the, with the tuba guy. 
It's the best. <laughs> it's just just look up uh, a couple years ago. They did a Michael Jackson tribute, and they literally, as a band, had Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk. Just mm-hmm. just watch that performance, um, and you'll understand why there's no better college band uh, than Ohio State, at least at the D1 FBS level. Mm-hmm. All right, Max, the fan loyalty you want for your program is this school. I'm going with, with with fans who are loyal to a T. They uh, have sold out their stadium since every game since 1962. It is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They Idiots. will do anything for that team, and they are the nicest people you ever you ever ever go ever interact with. It's Nebraska. They have the most loyal fans I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with, if we're going loyal fans, I'm going to have to go with Virginia Tech. I think that those fans are just electric. And case in point is that first game back from COVID mm-hmm. was packed. And that wasn't even supposed to be a good Virginia Tech team. But they packed the house out every time. I've been to a couple games there. It's nuts. You got to go. Lane Lane <laughs> Stadium is electric. Mm-hmm. Um, Max, I I because I know we have plenty of time. Um, I want to say this: if you're a Nebraska fan, stop. <laughs> Just stop. Um, Scott Frost took a mediocre team and made them worse somehow. Uh, I just I hate Nebraska with a passion. <laughs> It's like, you know what? I think I hate Nebraska as much as I hate Texas. Um, and I, I hate them because, you know, and this this speaks to the fan loyalty. And you know what? I probably should have put Texas or Nebraska for my fan loyalty. Um, but here's my problem with both Texas and Nebraska. You are not back every year. Stop saying it. Until you are fully back, I stop. Because you get your fans hyped up every year the beginning of every year oh my god we're back this is the year and then you suck at unc <laughs> you suck i am tired of peddling the narrative that texas is back texas is not back texas is back to being mediocre and maybe a seven and five team stop giving me that i'm tired just stop just stop giving me this narrative that Nebraska and Texas are back every single freaking year. Because they're not Texas can't win more than five games. That's not back. <laughs> you think Tommy Armstrong? You think Tommy Armstrong, who won a national championship and a Heisman, thinks that's back? You haven't been no, no, get out of here. No, Nebraska, get out of here. Just leave. Stop. Texas, you too. My fan loyalty. <laughs> my fan loyalty is Iowa. Wait, it's, not te- an- it's not Texas. It's not Texas. Oh, screw no. Texas. <laughs> screw no. I literally just had that rant because I wanted to. Um, <laughs> and it won't be the first nor last time I have that rant. Um, no, it's Iowa. Have you ever met a an upset Iowa fan? I don't even know an Iowa fan. Exactly. I don't know any. <laughs> exactly. That's the most loyal you could be. You don't even know you're a fan. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, you know, Nebraska or <laughs> Iowa, 
those fans are happy that they're just playing games. I just don't think that Nebraska fans have. I don't think Nebraska fans have or Iowa, Iowa fans. I don't think Iowa fans have expectations of anything more than, yeah, we're going to play some games this year and we're going to be, we're going to be cool with it. You know, we're going to wave to the kids in the hospital and that's going to be, that's us. That's all we do. <laughs> you know, they don't have expectations of big 10 championships. They don't have expectations like that. They're just, we're going to play some football games. We're going to have some fun. That's what we're going to do. Can I, uh, I'm going to make a wild card for fan loyalty and this isn't the fan base. If you say Texas, you're just done. No. (laughs) See, we go Daniel Christian with Duke football. (laughs) Just me though. Just Just Daniel Christian with Duke football. You know what? I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Thanks. It's pathetic. And I'll watch every game. He does watch every game. It's got my favorite, my favorite part. Uh, when when Daniel and I were talking college football last year, is after the first three games, Duke was three and zero, and Daniel was like, "Man, we look like we're back." And I was just like, "Okay, that's cute." I didn't and say I, we're back. I said we could make a bowl game. He said we could make a bowl game, and then they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I just game. watched. I, I I texted him through just the eventual decline into all right, it's NFL season, and then the Panthers sucked. So he couldn't do anything about that. So he was just watching football for five months and just Christ. got no relief. <laughs> I kid you not, when we lost the Giants by um, – I'll tell the story very quick. Uh, my grandma had asked me to walk the dog, and we were driving down four, and I was like, I can't walk the dog. The dog's going to have to cross her legs. And then we Sam Donald threw a pick, and we got down 11. I said, I'll walk that dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Max, you get to have a live mascot for your team. Who is it? Uh, you know, this is a live. Be... This is a live yeah. mascot, not like the guy in the costume. It's a live mascot. You have a couple. Uh, the one I went, the one, the one that I didn't go with, but one that was an honorable mention for me was Smokey from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's a cute little pupper. Love it. Love little it. Bloodhound. But I'm going with Mike the Tiger for LSU, baby. It's a live. Oh, it's a tiger. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's it's it, it it's it's the tiger, baby. <laughs> Go tigers, baby. Go tigers. Go, Go tigers. tigers. <laughs> Go tigers. Are you going? Are you going the LSU tiger? Oh yeah. Remember that Texas rant that I just made? Don't you dare! Are you, I did. I'm tired of you. I'm picking Bevo, baby. Give I'm me the Longhorn. <laughs> I actually tired of you. Give me the long, but I, so here's, here's, here's the reason I see. I didn't think that Max was going to pick Nebraska. Otherwise I wouldn't have made the rant. Um, but the reason that I picked Bevo is, do you remember a couple years ago when Texas played Georgia in that bowl game and Bevo attacked the bulldog? So you're an animal hater. Got I think it. that was dope as hell. Are you Michael Vick? No, <laughs> no, but I am a Florida fan. And anytime that anything could attack a, a Georgia, anything, Kind of here for, uh, but I just think it's kind of cool to have a cow on the sideline. I think that's kind of cool. Um, I've seen a few. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm going Bebo from Texas. I'm going Bebo the Texas Longhorn. Max, our final category. What school's tradition do you want? For your program, 
being a fan of dance and EDM music, this one I actually really enjoy. It's the South Carolina Gamecocks before kickoff playing Darude Sandstorm and seeing all the towels going crazy and then jumping up and down. It's a great atmosphere and a great tradition that they have. <laughs> That's I, I love that one. The tradition of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I love their history. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I love their every, and I just love. I it's a tradition. Like Notre Dame games, doesn't matter who we play, we're gonna be on NBC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love that TV deal, baby. <laughs> the the fans are loyal. I've got a best buddy who's a Notre Dame fan. They're they're a loyal bunch. I just love the tradition, Notre Dame. Uh, they're going to be independent, no always. Notre Dame. <laughs> See, I, I because so I kind of agree because I I pick Notre Dame for the culture of my program mostly because I like the tradition of Notre Dame and I wanted to bring that. Um, I looked at tradition a little differently. I kind of looked as like a game day tradition. Um, so kind of like a opening up a Darude sandstorm or you know walking out to um walking out to Enter Sandman. Uh, Wisconsin. I forgot what song they play at one. Oh, they play Jump Around and like like coming into halftime or coming back from halftime. My tradition, and I went I went with a homer pick again. Going into the fourth quarter, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium plays Tom Petty's I Won't Back Down going into the fourth quarter and listening to the crowd sing that song. Of course, Tom Petty, a Florida alum. Um... So singing that song going into the fourth quarter, I just I like the the symbolism that it has of, you know, we're going to the fourth quarter and I'm not going to back down. Um, and I I love I think my the why I think this is such a big thing for me is because I remember watching the game um, the week after Tom Petty died, um, and listening to an entire stadium of like. 70 80,000 plus sing a Tom Petty song word for word with literally no music. Um I that just that really stands out to me and I I just it's it's why as a Florida fan it's it's why I look forward to the fourth quarter. Um is knowing that during that commercial break I could probably go on Twitter and find somebody live streaming everybody singing I won't back down. Um but yeah no I I think I, I the Darude sandstorm at South Carolina is great. Um, I was watching an old game of South Carolina the other day because SEC Network has just been playing like replays of old great SEC games, and they play they were playing that. And I was just sitting here, I was literally at work, and I was just like bouncing around to it. I was like, I forgot they do this. This is great. <laughs> you were um, literally going Skip Bayless on us. I was, I was, I was. It was it was great. Uh, and of course, Notre the, the tradition of Notre Dame. There's no, I don't think there's a more traditional college football program than Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, so that's that's that graphic. And if you want to fill this graphic out for yourself, you can find it on Twitter and Instagram um, on CFB Kings. It's all caps. Um, CF CFB Kings um, on Twitter and Instagram, fellas. I think that's all the time that we have today. Uh, talk, talk some baseball, talk college football. We are inching closer and closer to college football and NFL season. We had the Hall of Fame game earlier this week. Preseason NFL starts next week or this week when I end up putting the podcast out either Monday or Tuesday. We are getting into prime 
prime time for this podcast, and I'm I'm very excited for that. Yeah, once college football and NFL gets rolling, I mean, we're at two or three episodes a week. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Big grind. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a big grind. We're excited for it. We're excited that you have stuck along with us and continue to listen to us. Fellas, I think we're going to close it here, right? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we appreciate you for listening to episode three of the DCP podcast from Daniel Christian, Max Bourne. I am Anthony McAvoy saying thank you so long or thank you so much for listening so long and we will see you next time.